Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest is Luis Besicht, author of Crack the Code. We will discuss a new approach to men's health. Luis is Senior Vice President at Cooper University Healthcare. A men's health advocate, he uses his devotion to health and fitness to motivate men over 50 to establish their own healthy lifestyles. With more than 40 years of executive experience, the author also serves as an adjunct professor in the Graduate Department of Public Policy Administration at Rutgers University. He has published numerous articles in the field of public administration and health and is a contributing author to Corporate Lawbreaking and Interactive Compliance. Louis, welcome. Good morning, Elena. How are you? I am great and very eager to hear all about this topic that we so seldom discuss. Tell us a little bit, before we get started on the health aspect, what kind of a size of audience are we talking about? How many men over 50 are there in the U.S.? There are 50 million of us throughout the United States that are 50 and over. So I consider that a pretty substantial uh, population of men in the uh, the category that I'm interested in speaking about and I've and I've studied. And how do you we for purposes of this discussion, how do we define health? What does that mean in this context? Well when we talk about a healthy lifestyle, because that's really been the focus of my research, there are really five um, conditions or five uh, uh, criteria. One is that you have to have a, a, a reasonable BMI that's between 18 and 24.9 for those who know uh, and how to measure BMI. And if, if you've never heard of a BMI, it stands for body mass index. You can just Google it and, and there are calculators out there. If you put in your height and your weight, it'll tell you what your BMI is. Number two is you can't smoke to lead a healthy lifestyle. You have to wear a seatbelt. That's number three. And then the last two are really uh, the ones that people really focus on, and that is you have to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables daily, and you have to exercise 30 minutes or more five times a week. If you do those things, um, the uh, experts will suggest that you lead a healthy lifestyle. And the thing that's troubling and one of motivators uh, for me to, to write the book and do the research on men's health is that in America, even though we have the, the best health care in the world by far, um, less than 3% of all Americans, men and women, uh, lead a healthy lifestyle. So it's quite dramatic and, to me, is sort of a burning platform for a, a new approach to, uh, to our health and fitness. And then even more recently, there's been some data uh, issued by the Center for Disease Control that suggests that um, upwards of 40% of the American population uh, are classified as obese. And if you add overweight, to that it, it hits, you know, upwards of 60%. So I think we're really in a crisis in this country in terms of, of our health and really what it means to both ourselves and, and future generations. What was the 3% of Americans lead a healthy lifestyle? Was that the statistic? Yes. What's 3%. the source of that? Uh, there are studies done by uh, Oregon State University and some um, other universities that, that they um, – collaborated with Oregon State, um, University of Mississippi, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. They did some, some survey work, and uh, they were the ones that uh, documented that. But it's, it's, it's been also uh, confirmed by a lot of other experts in the field. And, again, it's quite alarming. 
Are they using the same criteria that you just shared with us, the BMI, the non-smoking, the seatbelt? Yes. They, uh, uh, for the most part, there's, they make reference to a four-part criteria. It may not have the uh, every single one, but it's, it's a generally accepted criteria of four or five of those topics that, uh, or criteria that, that I just mentioned. What is the basis of the BMI measurement and the concept that you can't be healthy if you are overweight? Are there studies that specifically look at people who are overweight that automatically indicate if you are overweight, you are unhealthy? Uh, well, there are, of, the, of the criteria that I mentioned to you, my research showed that the one that does uh, draw the most controversy is the BMI. Because there are some uh, physicians and, and experts that I've spoken to that would suggest that um, some folks that are, are classified as overweight um, can still lead a healthy lifestyle, that there is uh, a certain um, uh, factor that, uh, that sometimes will skew a BMI. Like if you're a, a younger person and you're a professional athlete, you may, you may be heavier, but the, the, the mass of your, of your body is real muscular. Um, but it's generally, I would suggest to you, Elena, it's a, it's a directional, right? It's in what management we call directional. It gives you a sense of to where you stand in terms of, of measures of healthy behavior and something to at least consider when you're evaluating your lifestyle. So there are no studies that definitively prove that people who are overweight are not healthy, just the idea that if you are overweight and have other risk factors, you may be not healthy. Is that about the size of it? Well, I'd suggest to you there are all sorts of studies that fall on both sides of the question about whether BMI is an appropriate measure. Uh, what I wanted to focus on was the, the leading and what seemed to be the most predominant measures of healthy behavior, and specifically what I used uh, when I surveyed men over 50 uh, nationwide. I did a, in, in order to uh, get a pulse on uh, whether or not there are indeed gentlemen out there over 50 that do lead a healthy lifestyle as a means of finding those uh, that may lead a healthy lifestyle and finding out what they do, I use this criteria that I just mentioned that included the BMI as a screen to identify those that lead a healthy lifestyle. And that's, that's uh, what I use to identify those, uh, what it turned out to be 1,000 men nationwide that I surveyed that are over 50 and were pre-screened as leading a healthy lifestyle. Do you have any idea what percentage of the segment of the population that you focused on, meaning the 50 million men over 50, follow in with the statistic that you just shared with us from the CDC saying that more than 40% of the U.S. population is obese? In other words, do these men over 50 have the same statistic? Is 40% of that population obese? I don't have that statistic because sometimes it's been difficult to identify exactly um, some of the new nuances of the 50-plus population, but I would suggest to you that there's a preponderance of the literature that I've seen that would suggest that um, all the statistics for the general population get even worse for men over 50. Um, one of the phenomena that I've, I've um, discovered in, in, the, in the work that I've done is that um, as a man reaches 50 years old and, and enters into what I characterize as the second half of the game of life um, and with the prospects of, 
uh, all the things that Mother Nature um, provides to us in terms of opportunities for fun and fulfillment, graduations, weddings, retirement, travel, perhaps a second or third career volunteering, whatever it is that uh, a man can look forward to as, as he begins to age, you might think that the, the man would say, hmm, I'm entering into the second half of the game of life. I have a lot to look forward to. Uh, a common denominator that is sort of a prerequisite to enjoy all this is to be healthy right? and, and do so. But unfortunately, men don't do that. Men, the statistics show that uh, as we hit 50, uh, we become very sedentary, neglect our health, and consequently die younger than women and um, have more chronic disease than women. And that's another, you know, was another major motivator for me to explore what is a, what is the answer to this and what is the response to this um, alarming state of affairs. So you think that among the 50 million men over 50, there's, 40% of them are likely to be obese or perhaps even more. I think that the general statistics that you see for the population as a whole um, certainly reflect the men over 50 and, and, and in likelihood um, could be even worse. Wow, that's a scary thought. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now, you specifically surveyed a 1,000 healthy by these criteria that you shared with us, men, correct? Yes. Are they statistically representative, given the size of the population? Is a 1,000 a statistically large enough number to say that they're a reflection of the overall um, market segment? Yes, absolutely. The, the number is statistically significant and, um, and a reflection of, of what um, – strategy should be to uh, approach leading a healthy lifestyle if you're a man over 50. And frankly, what I found was that a major driver in, in all this, and this is consistent with a lot of other literature in the, in, the, in the field, is that their social relationships, their life's priorities, what's most important in their lives, creates their why, their, their rationale for and their driving force for leading a healthy lifestyle. The men that I surveyed, and then I also conducted um, uh, personal interviews with, uh, with about 30 guys, um, suggest that, um, number one, you need that why. You need a clear and identifiable purpose in life and, and reason to stay healthy. And that um, it, the most significant source of this has been their social relationships. They connect the dots between their health and what they aspire in their personal lives. It's what I call in the book male cognitive behavioral alignment. Right? They see the relationship, and that's a major motivator for them to lead a healthy lifestyle. And that's consistent with a lot of other literature that's unfolding in healthcare with um, what we call social determinants of health and uh, social factors impacting the health of, of populations. Tell us a little bit more about the male cognitive behavioral alignment, what, what exactly is it in a man's life that determines whether he is aligned behaviorally or misaligned, I guess would be the opposite, right? Right. So, so two things. One is that they, they have a strong uh, understanding and a strong and meaningful um, 
purpose in their social relationships, whether it be their, now the, the major one is their wives, but it also extends to their children, grandchildren, and other dimensions of their life, like their careers perhaps, or again, their, their hobbies and, and um, retirement activities. But they really, they really get enjoyment and fulfillment for that in a, in a way that, um, you, you know, drives their, their consciousness when it comes to their health. And then the second part is that they translate that into their behaviors. In other words, um, besides aspiring to stay healthy so that they can travel with their spouse or um, have activities with their children or grandchildren, they then operationalize it. So what I found in, in the men that I studied is that not only do they have that the consciousness that it's important to stay healthy for all these, these reasons and, and what they aspire to get out of life, but they then can translate that on a day-to-day basis. And that's where a lot of men fall short. Every guy that you ask will say, oh, yes, I love my family, and I, and I love my children, grandchildren. But then translating that into day-to-day living is the real trick. And so what a lot of those, the gentlemen that I surveyed and, and interviewed uh, told me is that they incorporate their social agenda with their um, behavior, their healthy behavior. So what does that mean? They'll take a walk several nights a week around the local high school track with their spouse or a buddy. They'll um, they'll swim in the ocean with their grandchildren. They'll run a 5K race with their daughter or their son or grandsons. They actually take their healthy behaviors and incorporate the social dimensions of their life with that. And that really, in, in the research that I've done, forms the strongest uh, sense of motivation and purpose that really is able to sustain them. The, the men that I surveyed, uh, on average, were leading a healthy lifestyle for 11 years. So it shows you that they're, you know, it's all about sustainability and the their uh, capability of sticking with the program. We hear a lot about how much longer people are living. Uh, just. Last week, they were talking about the possibility that people might be living to 100 and that becoming the norm rather than the exception, and how this is affecting people's lives and their retirements. And, of course, men over 50 are facing these issues of what they're going to do in the years ahead. Did you see that reflected in your findings? Well, sure. Um, the men that I, I researched and studied um, have a very sort of clear um, pathway and, and concept of what they'd like to achieve and, and, and really appreciate their time with the people that they love. And, uh, you know, they, they're all about longevity. That's what this, this whole point is about. I mean, the men that I interviewed saw health as a means to an end, right? Health, the healthy behavior in and of itself was important, but they, what gave them the inspiration and the motivation was the end game. It's the ability to, to live as long as possible and to have the kind of quality of life as long as possible. And that came out very clearly in the work that I did. The other aspect of this aging generation 
is a lot of isolation and loneliness. We keep hearing about people in their 50s being among the group with the highest percentage of suicides, and we keep hearing about people who are lonely. For the first time in the United States, we have more people who are unmarried than married. That just came up recently, a few years ago. What, if anything, in relation to that isolation and loneliness have you come across? Well, it it shows you the power and the importance of our social relationships. So my research is all about um, the fact that it's a social relationship that drives healthy behavior. And as you can see, the absence of social relationships um, can prompt unhealthy behavior. I mean, there are healthcare facilities in this nation today, Elena, that will reach out to vulnerable populations around holidays and want to know if if Mrs. Smith has any plans for Thanksgiving. Now, why would a healthcare organization do that? It's because they recognize, and more and more so in today's environment, that um, loneliness can spur um, health deterioration and ultimately a trip to the emergency department or something of that nature. And so more and more so um, social factors are being connected with with health. And again, what I did was go, what I consider going way upstream uh, and looking at what is it that's going to motivate, in my case, a man 50 and over to um, live a healthy lifestyle? Because that's got all sorts of implications down the road for um, sustaining their health going forward. And so the social factors are are critical than ever. Now, the challenge for men is that we, while while human beings are social beings by nature, men are less socially oriented than women. We all know that, right? So in in terms of leveraging those social relationships for our health, um, men are somewhat even more challenged than women when it comes to that aspect of things. And so... Uh, what, what I talk about in the book is the fact that um, it's important, and I think once men, in the, in the, again, the men that I've studied, once they break through that initial hesitancy to engage in, in friendships and partnerships and social activities, um, you know, once they break that barrier, then they find that it can be enjoyable, a lot of fun, and again, it can, it can support um, their health and well-being. There's a whole culture that if not forces, certainly pressures men in the workforce and even in their social lives to focus on work as the source of their rewards, if you will. And there's certainly a very strong culture in the tech world and in Silicon Valley that says nothing matters except the work that you put in. And those men right now are very young, but we all get there to those latter years. In addition to that, we have technology that is increasingly providing a means for isolation. Have you looked at that, and what are your thoughts in relation to those aspects? Well, men men in general, historically, right, have, have been viewed as protectors and providers, right? What's, what's the end game to even a, a younger person um, to focus on career. It's because you want to be a provider for your family. 
and uh, you know, and that's fine and that's great. But the irony is that when it comes to the um, common denominator of our health, that the you know we can't be a good protector or provider if we're not healthy. And so there's an irony there that that men, and I talk about this in the book, that you know men want to to be there for for their family, but um, oftentimes by neglecting their health are doing just the opposite. So what we need to do is reconcile the two and, again, form a new culture of health in this country that says men uh, are not, you know, we don't have this, we shouldn't have this caveman mentality that we're invincible and even when we hit 50 or 60, we still think that we're 25. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, the, the historic challenge for men, at least in this country. And we have to get over that. And, and what I talk about in the book is that besides providing a defining uh, new strategy, one based on social relationships as opposed to, you know, jumping right to the gym membership or taking a pill or the new exercise equipment or the latest diet fad, you know, what my book is all about is saying the diets and the exercise regimen and the other strategies are all great. But before you do that, what you really need to do is create your own personalized social platform, your emotional platform, where you really recognize and think deeply about your social and your emotional relationships, what's most important in your life, and then understand that that's got to get then translated into day-to-day habits, routines, and rituals that carry that out on a day-to-day basis. Because, again, in the men that I study, they make the connection. It gives them the impetus to get to the gym, to to, to um, uh, have a healthy diet and to do all the things day to day that you need to stay on the on the right course. And so we need to change that culture in this country. I think we can. The, the folks that are 50 and older in this country represent the baby boomers. And we were a generation as we grew up in this country that were all about change and changing the culture and changing um, social values in this country. And I think we've got one more left in us and it's one that has to do with what's most uh, personal to us all, and that's our health. So if we can both have the individual strategies but then supplement that with a change in cultural attitudes that rejects the the obesity, that rejects the underlying factors that lead to only 3% having a healthy lifestyle, that prioritizes our health in a way that we've never seen before, I think that's the combination that we need to shoot for and what men in particular over 50 can be leaders in that respect. You also looked at the Harvard study of adult development. Tell us about that. Well, that is, uh, Elena, is is recognized as perhaps the most um, comprehensive study of men's health in history. So for your listeners, the the Harvard study of adult development um, is a longitudinal study that's been in place for over 75 years. And it continues to this day. And they, they originally tracked the lives of 724 men. Um, and now, because of the time that's it's been so long, they're now, they're now tracking their children and maybe in some cases grandchildren. And they examined the factors that influenced uh, the health of these men. And the bottom line is that um, the message that came out of that study and continues to be reinforced is that good relationships keep us happier and healthier. That's a quote from Dr. Jeff Waldinger, who was their um, their director. And social connections are really good for us. So 
to me, Elena, that's one of the most um, reinforcing um, studies that suggests that there's a connection between our social relationships and our health, and that there, again, is there's motivation and inspiration to be found in our social relationships. And that's where, based on the failure of our current approach, I think we need a new alternative approach that has a better chance of success. Now, that seems challenging if we think about the common path for men as they reach 50-plus. They're nearing the end of their career. Oftentimes, they retire or they're forced to retire. Sometimes, they reinvent themselves and they work in another job, but oftentimes, that's not possible. But part of their social life many times comes from work because so much of their time and so much of their energy is spent there. Uh-huh. What do you suggest in terms of that those social needs when they're no longer sourced from the work environment because as you move away from work, you lose your work friends? Uh-huh. What can these men do to rebuild a social life now, sometimes they come out of the work environment and they're a bit disoriented, a bit isolated. What do you suggest? Well, the first thing I would would say to you is that um, there are a lot more options today than ever before to sustain some level of of work or employment, right? You might retire from your, your traditional job, but there are a number of – well, first of all, that are working longer than ever before for all sorts of reasons, both economic as well as social. Uh, but there are other alternatives today that um, can sustain some type of part-time um, activity if that's what one chooses to do. Uh, but in addition to that, to, to answer your question directly, there are all sorts of opportunities today that we talk about in the book, whether it be volunteering, whether it be your, your family activities, um, whether it be um, uh, just um, – I, social activities where uh, men gather in the morning and, and have coffee together. Um, there, there are a number of circumstances that I've uh, witnessed where um, men just get together and have coffee in the morning at a coffee shop and a McDonald's at all sorts of facilities and it becomes an, an ad hoc um, social center. And then, of course, there are, you know, social daycares and, and other more structured programs out there. But more, I would suggest to you that there are um, – today more than ever um, alternatives to the traditional social activities that come from work, um, not to mention, you know, all the online activities that um, in some cases might be a, a good alternative for uh, for men who have stopped working on a full-time basis. So online relationships are still valid within this healthy relationship concept. It doesn't have to be personal friends that you see or friends that you see in person rather it could be relationships that you have with people that you've never met never met in person what i tell folks in in the book is that you want to develop your own um social network right just like um health insurers have networks of folks and and um, there are all sorts of, of business structures with networks you want to develop your own um social network because to me uh, what I talk about in the book is that men's health is a team sport. And it, it starts with your immediate family, your spouse, your partner, whatever the case might be. It could extend to social acquaintances. It could be 
you know, uh, social activities through work or volunteer work, like I said before. There are any number of means. So it's whatever works for you. If it's an online relationship, that's fine. Um, I, my personal preference is, is more um, traditional, you know, human interaction. Uh, it can be supplemented by online relationships. But um, it, the, the key is to diversify um, your uh, your social networks because um, there's there's a role there's the gym buddy you know some some acquaintances will will be great for um, sharing time at the gym or some kind of a fitness activity there's others that might be more social in like health I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of men who um, love to go out with buddies or family members and enjoy a healthy meal they eat salmon a lot together and so um, it just depends, but it, you know, the diversity not only gives you more choices and gives you a more robust social agenda, but also it, it acts as a hedge if, um, if, if for whatever reason somebody moves away or you've got, um, somebody who drops out of your social network, there are others there to fill the gap. Tell us about sleep. It's, uh, on the top, toward the top of the list for many men's health habits. Is that right? Yeah, well, everything that I've seen um, in terms of, of health is to get a good night's sleep. That seems to be consistent across the board for all ages and certainly for men over 50. A and lot I've of spoken to uh, physicians about, um, you know, the keys to a healthy lifestyle, sleep is always on the list. And what advice do you have in relation to that? There's a lot of people, especially older people, complaining that they have trouble sleeping, that they get to an age where they can't sleep. They wake up in the night multiple times. They can't get a full night's rest. Do you have any recommendations in relation to that? Uh, I really haven't done a deep dive. I I can tell you from personal experience with my wife, who um, oftentimes has trouble sleeping, that it's it's uh, it's tough because if you don't get a good night's sleep, it can really put a crib in your day, and it's a struggle that a lot of folks go to uh, go through. But um, I've not done a deep dive on that, so I, I would be um, not really able to give you any specifics on that. But I, I do know that in all the experts that I've spoken to on a on a higher level, that sleep is is really important. In addition to the BMI, you talk about or the men that you surveyed as well, talked about exercise, and you personally talked about, I think it was running, right? Yes. Yes. Tell us about the importance of that uh, for those who are non-believers. Non-believers in exercise? Yes. Well, they need to become believers. (laughs) Um, Again, all the experts will tell you, and it's in the criteria that you need to exercise. Now, I think one of the common misconceptions, Elena, is that, um, you know, that folks have some model um, in their mind that you have to go to a gym or you have to um, have a trainer or whatever the case might be. Again, it's whatever works for you. It's about being active. It could be as simple as walking around the block a couple days a week um, or, you know, as much as you can can, um, muster up the, the, the time and energy to do that. Um, you know, it can be, it can be, uh, you know, working out in your basement. It can be whatever. I'm fortunate enough where uh, many years ago, um, through a friend, I I started to go to a gym after, you know, uh, running around the neighborhood and and, uh, uh, exercising in my basement with my own personal exercise equipment and uh, really enjoyed it, really loved it um, to the point where, you know, today, 
Um, I'm at the gym six, if not seven days a week, and really find it not only to be obviously helpful in terms of my my physical fitness, but there's a whole um, mental health side to it. And again, the experts will tell you that it. I find it as a, and I talk about this in the book, as a means to kind of clear my head. Uh, I'm still working at the age of 64, and uh, in a very busy, you know, professional environment. And I find it a great way to clear my head, think about the day ahead, um, think about um, and, and think in, in an anticipating kind of way. What's next on my social agenda? Is it is it dinner on Friday night with my wife or meeting up my two sons for, for a, a dinner or seeing my grandson perhaps on the weekend? Uh, it's really an opportunity to reflect, think about priorities, uh, catch up and plan for the day ahead. And so for me, it's got both physical as well as um, sort of mental health uh, benefits to it. Are you aware of any specific studies that relate exercise with mental well-being and aging? Uh, nothing off the top of my head that I can quote you, but there is literature out there that suggests that um, uh, exercise has, has, a, uh, has a, a well-being to it that exceeds just the physical dimensions to it. It can, it can be uh, um, very helpful in terms of, again, clearing your head and, and giving you some um, some opportunity to just just like the advocates for uh, 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 you know, mindfulness and other sort of uh, mentally based uh, and behaviorally based strategies to clear one's head and to get you know find find well-being. Uh, I find that you know the, the exercise piece of it has mental um, benefits as well. You talked about mental benefits a couple of times, and that makes me think of meditation. Yes. Did did that come across in your research or in your interviews? Do any of the men that you interviewed or surveyed mention meditating on a regular basis? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, there, were, there obviously were a, a few individuals who, who talked about it, but um, most of the gentlemen that I interviewed in particular, because I wanted to get a, um, a firsthand look at how healthy behavior um plays out on a day-to-day -day basis. What does it really look like? And most of the guys uh, are, are were not, they're, they're sort of like the everyman guy. They're, they're not, um, you know, doing marathons. They were not uh, climbing mountains and things of that nature, which are great things to be able to do. But my guys are just um, trying to live their lives and, and um, sustain their health and, again, sustain their life as long as possible and enjoy the benefits of it. So uh, not a whole lot of talk about mindfulness, and uh, or meditation and things of that nature, um, but rather just um, connecting the dots between simple things. Again, spending time walking, jogging with a spouse, spending time, um, you know, in, in activities with children and grandchildren, those types of, of activities, um, they, they dominated most of the conversations. You dedicate a chapter to optimism. Tell us a little bit about optimism. Well, the... You know, the book I make a lot, my book is, is, uh, is for, uh, it's not an academic piece, that's for sure. It's, it's about finding solutions to problems. Uh, but I did do a, a little bit of a dive into the psychology literature. And I, I got there because the literature suggests that optimism is key to your health. 
the more optimistic you are, the literature suggests that your chances of being healthy are increased. And so, uh, and I, so that's, that's important to recognize, number one. And in the study that I did of the men over 50, I found that a number of them consider themselves to be optimistic. And so um, it seems to be a consistent theme in both the literature and what I've discovered is that optimism is key to um, sustaining a healthy lifestyle. So it's, it's, it's why it's one of my strategies um, in Crack the Code. And you share some tips on becoming optimistic because, of course, not everyone is an optimist, right? Some people are pessimists. Right. Some people are realists. What were your tips? Um, well, the, the, the good news is that um, optimism can be a learned technique. That's the first takeaway is that um, while you know, some people are born as optimists, if you don't find yourself inherently being optimistic, then um, – uh, you can it can be a learned thing, but um, one of the things that um, was a takeaway is that um, here we go. Um, it doesn't mean um, you know ignoring hard or challenging things, but what optimism does mean is you know sort of changing your approach. And um, what I talk about in the book is that. Um, even if you're, you have a negative belief, um, you know, it's, what the experts will tell you is that um, just because something is bad happened doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of uh, psychology that suggests that um, negative thoughts are really a, a lack of a, you know, a sort of a, a higher level of, of examination. In other words, look at the facts and look at that. Um, uh, you know, the kind of factors that um, really could influence things. And I guess what I'm saying is that look at what could be the worst outcome. Uh, does your uh, outlook affect your motivation? Um, trust and faith in people are key factors to, to all lead to a, a more optimistic approach. What's the best way to deal with change? So as these men reach their 50s and beyond, you talked to men in your survey between, was it 50 and 70? Yes. So this is a period of change by definition. They're changing at work. They're changing in their personal lives. In some cases, they're relocating because they're moving as part of their retirement. So there's a lot of change there. And we humans in general despise change. So what is the best approach for these men as they face all of these changes in their lives? How can they adjust? Well, what I talk about in the book is that change is inevitable, whether it's the change in your body, it's the change in your professional circumstances or your family circumstances. Change is inevitable. And um, the first key factor is to accept that as a fact and not be so um, uh, Affected by change, uh, you know, to the extent that it would would um, paralyze you and, and and really cause you to not um, have that optimistic look that we just talked about. Um, the other thing is to, to plan ahead in 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 the from the respect that um, if we're talking about behavior and we're talking about diet and exercise, understand that um, with change comes opportunity to do something different. So a lot of the, the gentlemen that I interviewed, for example. Um, may have run half marathons or marathons, but now 
do a 10K or a 5K race, as a very specific example, right? They, they're still exercising, they're still being active, um, and they're still being fulfilled. They're just not doing it the same way they used to, and they've, you know, they're very accepting of that. And then when you couple that with integrating then as part of the change strategy, if you're integrating that with your social relationships, in other words, run that 5K race with your daughter, as one of the men I interviewed does, um, or, you know, enter a race or, or just, again, walk around the block with your spouse. Um, when you add that social dimension, it helps to facilitate that change. So um, the key is to both accept the change and that it's inevitable and understand that or plan for it, number two, so come up with strategies that you can still sustain your level of activity and, and exercise, albeit through different means. And then understand, finally, that it can be as equally fulfilling um, and meaningful to you as, you know, what you did in the past. And you also found that priorities changed throughout a man's life, and uh, there were priorities that remained the same or became more important. There were priorities that varied, and there were priorities that declined. Would you tell us about that? Well, sure. Well, that's that's really part of life, right? Um, you know, your career and your your the time and effort put into earning a living, your perspective on that may change as you hit retirement or get close to retirement. Right? Um, as you uh, age and you might have grandchildren, that's a big game changer, right? In terms of priorities, all well, anybody who's had a grandchild knows that they go right to the top of the list, pretty much. And so. Um, there are there are both good changes that again that um, and your priorities should reflect that, um, and it's and, and it's it's a good thing and, and um, sometimes the the change of priorities is a is a factor and a and a outcome of the changes we just spoke about that you struggle with but again your your priorities will change and that's that's a good thing and and what I've seen in the men I've studied is that the priorities you know, move in the direction of the social relationships. Social relationships become even more important. So when I, I studied how important wives and their and, and the, how how men value their relationship with their wives, it increased between 50, 60, and 70 and upwards. Right. So you could see how priorities um, gravitate more to the social and emotional relationships. What percentage of these healthy men? had male friends. You talk a lot about family and children and grandchildren, but there are a lot of people who are not close to their family, who perhaps are divorced. We have about a third of the population that is childless. Were many of the men in your healthy group who had healthy behaviors able to form friendships with other men or with other women or groups? Did you find anything in relation to that? Yes, yeah, a lot of the men that I spoke to um, had uh, had relationships with with, uh, with buddies and friends that uh, were outside of the family. Um, one of the gentlemen I, I interviewed uh, was very articulate about um, sharing uh, healthy meals with uh, both a friend of his who happened to be his physician that he uh, befriended many many years prior, and they both enjoyed sharing healthy meals together. Um, it's about finding common denominators, and there are a lot of opportunities out there to develop friendships and partnerships that um, 
both have a social dimension to it, as I said, and, and have a behavioral dimension to it. And so, again, the men that I interviewed that are living a healthy lifestyle seem to really um, be adept at um, finding those relationships that have those both dimensions to it. And I think that's the winning combination that, that you want to find. And, and again, that's the reason f- for um, aspiring to have diverse relationships, right? Some, some individuals, some friends may, um, may be more um, uh, focused on the fitness part of things. Others may be more focused on dietary. Um, and then others might be just um, good social acquaintances that, again, give you the reason, give you the, something to look forward to. Um, and a reason to stay healthy and uh, attend to your health behaviors. You talked about nutrition, specifically fruits and vegetables, in your list of healthy lifestyle characteristics. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you would. Well, all the experts tell you that fruits and vegetables are important to your health, and so the the key is to to incorporate that on a day-to-day basis. Um, And there's any number of ways to do that, but um, it's, it's a consciousness that, um, uh, again, once you adapt those healthy lifestyles and you get into um, the rituals, that seems to be the trick. The, the men that I interviewed uh, were very much into um, a rhythm in their lives and, and rituals and, and habits and routines that really dominated their lives. And eating f- uh, fruits and vegetables, um, in many cases, became uh, a ritual for them. And they became very creative in finding ways to do that. You know, these days with um, with um, the ability, like I do oftentimes, to get a, a drink that's got both the kale and the spinach and the apples uh, wrapped up in it uh, and good healthy things, um, that's one way to, to address your needs. But it's, it's about just being conscious of it so that you can grab that piece of fruit or make sure that um, you've got some vegetables on the plate uh, at lunch or dinner and uh, – and also, again, you couple that with the partnership aspect. If you, if your spouse is conscious of that and will work with you to develop healthy meals or that you dine outside with folks that are prepared to eat healthy, uh, that helps a lot as well. You also dedicate a chapter to women and the influence that women have on men's health, not just spouses but also mothers. And you talk about the loving constituency playbook. What do you mean by that? Uh, the loving constituency. All men over 50, I argue, have some form of a loving constituency. Those are all the the, the women and, you know, the sons and, and others, uh, buddies that, that care for a man over 50. And because I see men's health as a team sport, it's important to know that we've got you know, teammates out there. We've got partners. We've got resources that can help us with our healthy lifestyle. A healthy lifestyle for a guy should not be is not a solo or an individual uh, function or activity. It's it's got to be something that one shares with others in their immediate life. And the the extent to which a man's loving constituency um, can support a man's healthy lifestyle because they they care about this individual, this man, um, the better they will be. And again, the men that I studied that are consistently leading a healthy lifestyle have a good, loving constituency. Now, the aspect of of women in particular is is critical. Um, As you say, I devote a whole chapter to women in my book because I argue that you can't talk about men's health 
without talking about the role of women. Women, if, if um, men's health is a team sport, then women are the most valuable players. They traditionally are the ones who make the physician appointments, who will uh, encourage a man to live healthy, and women as a whole have really set the bar much higher. Women are much more conscious of their health and make much, you know, are more inclined to have a, uh, a primary care physician, make more preventative uh, appointments with, with doctors than men do, and really um, set the pace. And so women play a number of roles from supporter to um, filling the health care gap and the consciousness gap that men have to um, to behavioral health and, the, and, the, and providing motivation to men. What are the 10 proven secrets that motivate healthy behavior and inspire fulfillment in men over 50 that are in your subtitle? Well, the 10 secrets break down into kind of two categories, Elena. The first three are in the sort of the, the building of your um, behavioral health and your, your uh, healthy behavior platform. And so that is, number one, assess where you're at now. Look at, your, look at yourself in the mirror and say, um, uh, what is my level of, of healthy behavior now? Uh, where do I want to be? Um, what's important in my life and, and what's my why? It's really defining. It all starts with defining and in a very deep and meaningful way your personal why. Why should I live a healthy lifestyle? Then number two is then plan. Put together a socially based, okay, this is not about which exercise routine or diet to get into, but rather what is my plan for um, creating a, a robust social relationship or relationships, plural, that will give me that sustainable motivation? What am I doing with my spouse or partner? What am I doing with children or grandchildren? What, what social dimensions in terms of life outside the home, whether it be work-oriented, social friends, whatever the clubs, activities, whatever the case might be. What's critical, again, as I say it over and over again in the book, is your, your social platform because that's where the inspiration comes from. That's the purpose. That's the why. And so you want to, in order to sustain that on a day-to-day -day basis, there has to be both big picture, you know, social dimensions like wives, children, and grandchildren, but then there's also day-to-day -day kinds of things. I'm going to meet up with my buddy. I'm going to have dinner at the end of the week. I'm having uh, lunch tomorrow with a friend. It's all those uh, little social interactions and emotional relationships that sustain us. So you want to have a, a really robust plan. And then number three is execute. You want to you want to carry that out on a day-to-day -day basis and um, and use that social motivation to leverage the healthy behaviors. So that's the first. That's one to three, and then four to ten are all the the. Um, the strategies that deal with the mechanics of carrying this out on a day-to-day -day basis. One is um, uh, develop your social network, like I mentioned before. Two is, um, or which is now, that, that would be three, four, five. Five is uh, have a sustainable plan. In other words, recognize the fact that sometimes with healthy behavior, um, you're going you're gonna to not eat a healthy meal, or you're going to miss the gym, or you're going to get sick for a few days, or you're going to fall off the horse in one form or another. Well, be able to, you know, the healthy guys that I spoke to and interviewed have uh, a way to get back on the horse and, and jump back in the scheme of things. And if they miss a few days, they don't feel the same. They feel much better when they um, 
start to die. So have a sustainability plan. Uh, another one strategy is what I call micro motivators. Big, big factor I know in my life. Right? I love to get up early in the morning. I get up at an ungodly hour of 4 a.m. because I need to get to the gym, and I, that's my routine that I like. But I really love that cup of coffee, a glance at the headlines, check an email, thinking about the day ahead, that quiet time around the house that I have before I hit the gym, and then a little bit carries over while I'm at the gym and I'm thinking about the day ahead, like I mentioned before. Those are all my micro-motivators, as are having dinner one night a week, perhaps, with my, my two adult sons now and, and going to dinner on uh, on Friday or Saturday night with my with my wife. Love to do that thing. All of these little what I call micro-motivators. Another strategy is diversify, right? Diversify your healthy behaviors. Diversify your your uh, your partnerships out there, and, and and again, just like you diversify your financial portfolio, you want to diversify your social portfolio to again um, sustainable to have a sustainable plan going forward. Optimism, like you mentioned before, is key. Uh, another factor is adjust as you age. That's the point we spoke about just uh, a few minutes ago. Be prepared for that adjustment, and then the final one is be a hero. That's where I talk about the fact that, you know, the, the, the cycle of unhealthy behavior and the cultural mindset that says somehow when you hit 50, you're, you should have a big, you know, a big belly, sit in the chair, drink beer, watch football, <laughs> and lead an unhealthy lifestyle is, is not good. And unfortunately, what we're doing, Elena, is we're passing that, that cultural perception along to the next generation. And I, I reject that theory that that has to be that way. So one way that we can be heroes and go back to that protect and provide, heroism is sort of embedded in the, in the male psyche. We like heroes. We think they're important. And so I, I discuss in the book how we can be a hero of health by passing on some better, um, uh, better cultural um, perceptions and, and better cultural practices to the next generation. So those are my 10 proven secrets in a nutshell. Based on the information that you've shared, that puts you in a very small minority at the moment, this 3% of the overall population. And so it lends itself to making you odd, for lack of a better word, means you're the odd man out. If everyone else is sitting there growing a beer belly, as you describe it, and you're waking up at four in the morning and exercising and reaching for your veggies instead of the potato chips and the beer, what's the best way to interact with people who look at you as the odd person because you're engaging in these behaviors? Well, I first of all like to think of myself as maybe an outlier at best as opposed to being odd. But um, I asked that specific question in a focus group with, with the men that I interviewed. I said, you know, men 50 and older are a tough group, right? Not known, as you just point out, for being, you know, accepting with open arms, you know, a, a willingness to try new behavior, right? And to a to acknowledge that perhaps we're we're not leading the kinds of healthy lifestyle that we should, and then being open to do that. We don't do that, right? We're, you know, a tough audience. And so 
What they told me is that what you've got to do and what they have done in their lives is look for what they call moments of truth. A moment of truth in a man's life can be anything from a tragedy of, of the death of a loved one or somebody acquaintance that they had that really shook them to the core and made them realize that healthy behavior is important to being there for their family and their loved ones. It could be as simple as getting to the top of the stairs and being winded and, you know, taking a couple of extra deep breaths and realizing, geez, I just climbed a flight of stairs and I feel like I ran two miles. That's a moment of truth. Or it could be, again, as simple as it's like I'm, I'm putting on my pants and you know what? Mm, they're not sitting like they used to. That's when you've got to seize the moment and and because there's a level of consciousness there that might not be there absent that little that situation, whether it be little or, or, or big like my first example. And so they suggested to me that whether it's a loved one, a friend or whatever, that if you can find a gentleman in that situation, that then you can try to, as they call it, seize the moment of truth and and use that as a way to to get a man to consider something that they might not ordinarily be open to. Are you saying to use a moment of truth to sort of show the light to someone who might see you as an outlier? Is that the concept? Well, the concept is just, number one, to um, to let them know that there is, um, you know, that, that there's a, a burning platform, that there's a, there's a reason to, you know, to um, – to think differently about their health and their behaviors, right? And that, yes, um, attending to your health is the first step. And it's not, it's not so extraordinary, right? It's a good thing. And for, for, for that matter, who cares what people think? If it causes you to be there longer for your children or grandchildren or your spouse, then isn't that motivation enough? Isn't that cause and purpose enough? Isn't that enough of a why? to start thinking about leading a healthy lifestyle. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go out and climb Mount Everest the next day. I mean, I read about articles in the paper and in the literature all the time about extraordinary individuals, extraordinary men in their 70s and, and 50s, 60s, and 70s who are running marathons and doing extraordinary things. I consider them the outlier. I'm, my message is for the average man who simply wants to enjoy life and enjoy the benefits that Mother Nature provides to him, whether it's the relationship with their spouse, children, grandchildren, whatever, whatever it is that they want to accomplish, that the common denominator here is their health. And then, as I talk about in the book, Elena, the other dimension to that, so that's the personal dimension, is the cultural dimension, right? As a society, is behavioral change within the realm of possibility? And I suggest to you, as I look back on it, you know, there was a point in time when, you know, wearing a seatbelt, I mean, I'm old enough at 64 to remember as a kid where, you know, my dad didn't wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Nobody wore a seatbelt. It was like, you know, a, an afterthought. Well, today it's common practice because as a society, we realized the downside of not wearing a seatbelt. And there were tragedies and there were other, there was loss of life. And so now it's common practice. You wouldn't think about getting in a car without wearing a seatbelt. Take something as basic as as recycling, for example. When I was a young man, you know, just starting my own household, that's when they started to do recycling. And and I know as 
uh, you know, local officials would say to themselves, how the heck are we going to get people to separate their cans and their bottles and their newspapers from trash? It's, it's crazy. It'll never happen. Well, today, it's common practice all across this country. Yeah, and, and, and I, the third example I'll give you is, is smoking, right? Now, while still far too many people in this country smoke, it's down much, you know, much lower than it was at one point in time. Because culturally, we began to, and again, there was some government regulation, no doubt about it, some other other uh, public communication and public information that was put out there. But um, not the way it used to be. There's been a cultural change. So I do argue in the book that when it comes to cultural change, it is possible. As, as crazy it may sound, um, there were these other um, examples where people didn't think it could happen, and now it's commonplace. What suggestions would you share with our listeners in terms of, in addition to your book, what resources they can find for additional information on this topic and other like-minded men? Where can they learn more about the topic and where might they be able to connect with other men who have the same goal? Well, the good news is that there are a, a number of resources out there, you know, from the from the you know the federal government and the Center for Disease Control, uh, a lot of local uh, health departments across the country uh, do all sorts of promotions for healthy behavior. But one that's very specific to men is, uh, which I talk about in the book and use as a resource, is the Men's Health Network, and they're a great organization, as its name implies, really. Um, focus on men's health and, and the struggles that men go through um, uh, and, and can provide all sorts of resources and advice from everything, uh, you know, in terms of big picture disease control to practical tips about, um, you know, getting to the doctor and, and closing the health care gap and things of that nature that are very practical and, and day-to-day in nature. Thank you, Lewis, for joining us from Camden, New Jersey. Thank you, Elaine. I really enjoyed it. And to our audience, you have been listening to Lewis Besich, who is author of Crack the Code, 10 Proven Secrets that Motivate Healthy Behavior and Inspire Fulfillment in Men Over 50, who discussed a new approach to men's health. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.